Welcome to episode number 29 of Talking Mopars and the first episode of five in a special week-long limited series for Listener Appreciation Week. We've reached a 20,000-plus download milestone on the podcast this past week, and I thought I would show you my appreciation by not just giving you an extra episode this week, but an extra episode for every day this week. Each episode will contain a project car of the day, high-performance parts, listener stories, and a special little segment to close out the show that is a must-listen for Mopar enthusiasts. We're going to revisit a section from Dodge's 1970 Scat City every day, and I'm going to be your tour guide. What on earth is Scat City, Chris? Stick around to find out. This is going to be a week of Mopar fun. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Welcome, friends, once again to Talking Mopars. This is a week of celebration. We are celebrating 20,000 plus downloads since this podcast launched, and I wanted to give you guys a series of five episodes. The only change from normal weekly episodes are that we are going to have Project Car of the Day instead of just one for the week. As usual, the cars will be selected from the recent postings on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page. In addition to that little change, these episodes will be a little bit more condensed than normal episodes, but with all the same great Mopar content that you've come to know and expect from this show. Also, I want to let you guys know that I'm launching an online store where you can purchase Talking Mopar's gear to help support the show. There's going to be clothing like t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, hoodies, and long sleeves for guys, gals, and the kiddos too. We're even going to have some stickers. Ordering these products is a great way to show your support for the show while getting something cool in return. You can't beat that. The store officially launches on Friday and you will get more information on where to purchase on Friday's episode. I'm really excited for the future of this show and especially excited to give you a week's worth of talking Mopars. So buckle up, folks, and let's get this show on the road. You know, it's really funny. I was just getting into Project Car of the Day and my phone went off. I got an email alert from a listener who submitted a story, which is great news. So shout out to Cody. Thanks for sending in your story. I will get to it later this week. But for right now, let's get into Project Car of the Day. Today's Project Car of the Day is a Little Red Express. So it's actually a truck. And it was posted on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page on Saturday, May 23rd at 7.47 a.m. Let's read the ad. Mopar Dodge, 1978 Little Red Express, $9,500, North Jersey. 1978 Little Red Express, one of 2,118. Hasn't been driven since 2000, runs good, decent interior and body has 25,732 original miles. Needs some work to be roadworthy again. Has many NOS parts collected over the years. Looking for 9,500 or best offer. I will send pics to Sirius only. Title status is clean. All right, folks, what we have here is a Little Red Express, and it apparently has really low miles. If this is an original 25,000-mile truck, that's amazing. And the condition, from what I see, it appears to be in reasonable condition. I would call it survivor quality. If we're considering a survivor, basically a vehicle that has withstood the test of time and hasn't completely rotted into the ground and maintains most of its originality. The logos on the door starting to fade. The wood paneling on the bed is definitely faded and definitely showing its age. Got some old slotted mags on it. 
has a nice stance, and the interior looks really clean. Got the buddy buckets and the tough wheel. No radio, that's okay. It looks like it has a sunroof in it, which, you know, in my opinion, I don't mind a sunroof in a truck, but there is the chance of it leaking, which is never a good thing. You know, as far as originality goes, some people just don't want a sunroof. I wouldn't mind it. I would prefer it without a sunroof, but that's okay. The seat looks to be in really good condition. It may have been recovered at one time because it does not look like original seat material, but that's okay too. The bed floor looks like it's definitely seen better days. It's showing its age, but it's not completely gone or rotted like a lot of these are when you find them in fields and whatnot. This truck is actually in really good condition. Even under the hood, it still retains the factory air cleaner lid and even the chrome valve covers, so that's cool. It does have some headers on it, but no harm, no foul. Um, the truck's in really good condition. Even the grill doesn't look too hammered. And with these things, with these tin grills, man, they get hammered all the time. So it's not uncommon to find one of these 72 to 80 Dodge trucks that we call tin grills and see the grill in great shape. They're usually a little worse for wear, but this truck is really in decent condition. And for 9500 or best offer, you know, in my opinion, it's a great deal, especially for this truck that seems to be mostly original. I mean, the paint, it doesn't look like it's ever been repainted. It still has some of the factory pinstriping on it. It's really, I mean, solid. You know, you look at a lot of these 72 to 80 trucks and they're plagued with rust. I don't see that too much on this truck unless there's some, you know, hidden things. But also, you really won't know until you actually get out there, obviously, because these are pictures on the internet. And we all know that you can't trust 100% pictures that you see online. You have to go see these cars in person in order to get a better idea of the real condition. But like I said, it looks good. It looks to be original paint. And like I said, the door logos are starting to fade out. And, you know, that's cool patina to me. So you combine that look with old school mag wheels and you have a really cool little cruiser truck. You know, something that you won't have to worry about, you know, parking in questionable sections of the parking lot. You know what I mean? If you have a 1970 Superbird that's fully restored, you know, a six-figure car, you're not going to park it in the front of a grocery store or something. And chances are you're probably not taking your 70 Superbird to go grocery shopping, but you never know. But this truck you can take anywhere, and it runs good, according to the ad, but it needs a little bit of work to be roadworthy again, which isn't that big of a deal. The guy also says he has a lot of NOS parts. Now, for those of you that are, you know, newer to the game, NOS means not nitrous oxide systems and don't say NOS. <laughs> when you see ads for, you know, classic cars and you see NOS, that's new old stock. That means these are all old parts that were still sitting on dealer shelves that were never sold to the public and they're still in the original packaging. So he's got a lot of NOS parts and he actually lists them off. So here's his parts list. He's got an extra air cleaner decal, two armrests, baffles for the radiator, brake light lens, cargo light switch, a dash bezel, dash trim, an amp gauge, door and glove box locks with keys, door handles, door panel clips, door panels, an emergency brake, front side markers, fuel gauges, fuse box, fuse box cover, headlight rings, heater controls, intake and holly carb, Light lenses, rocker panels, name plates, mirror brackets, oil pressure gauge, plate light, power steering hoses, power steering pump, radiator water tank, radio, rugs, running boards, slotted wheels, slotted wheels with tires, stacks, starter relay, service manual, sun visors, sun visor clips, wheel center caps, windshield trim, wiper arms, wiper motor, and wood door trim. I mean, he's got 
I don't even think I listed it all. He's got a bunch of extra stuff. Now, hopefully this is the parts list for everything that he actually has that's NOS. Because if that's the case, I mean, he's got a lot of parts here for $9,500 or best offer and the thing runs. So, you know, and it's not a rot box. This thing is a great deal at 9500 You know, if you could get this thing for seven or eight grand or less, my God, what a deal. I wouldn't be surprised if I saw this truck posted for, you know, fifteen to 20000 And I know some people are going, oh, you're crazy. 20000 for a Little Red Express? Yeah. You know, finding one in original survivor condition, you know, and I use the term survivor in this case loosely, but we're going to go ahead and call this a survivor, all right? Because to me, it looks mostly original, you know, with the exception of, you know, day two wheels. So I'm going to go ahead and call this a survivor. And whether or not that's actually the case, even for 9,500, if this was a survivor for 9,500 that was completely original, man, steal. That's my opinion. And I'm sticking to it. That was Project Car of the Day. No Mopar left behind. This week's high performance part belongs to a controversial car from a controversial film. And that car is the 1970 Dodge Charger featured in the first Fast and the Furious film. And I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm only going to speak about the car as it was first introduced in the film. And that scene is when Dom Toretto brings Brian into his garage to show him the Charger that he and his dad built. Now, it's commonly known that a lot of the cars used in the Fast and the Furious film, the first one, were all stunt cars, and apparently they all had Chrysler Big Blocks, 383s or whatnot, but none of them had Hemis, not the ones that were actually moving. But we're going to talk about the car in this first reveal scene when we first see this Charger, and one thing that we know immediately is that it's got a giant blower, and a lot of people automatically see the spark plugs in the center of the valve cover, and they automatically think Hemi, and they would be correct. Here's the difference. A lot of people would automatically think 426 Hemi, especially those who, back when that movie came out, I know I saw it when it first came out because I was in high school, and I know that 99% of the people in the movie theater that I was in anyway were import guys, and none of them knew what they were looking at. They would automatically assume 426 Hemi. But being a real Mopar guy, you take a look at that engine and you go, wait a second, the spark plugs are not going to the front. The distributor is not in the front of that engine. They are going to the rear. And we automatically know that that's probably based on a first generation Hemi. And you'd be correct. The Hemi in that vehicle was actually a Chuck Taylor Racing Engines Hemi. And it was based off a 392. It does have a blower. And here's the disappointing news. The car never moved under its own power with that engine. It was simply used for that scene. Because, did you hear that? <laughs> I think there's people lighting off fireworks in the distance. So I'm sorry if you can hear the fireworks in the distance, folks. But back to the car. So they never actually used that engine in the car for any of the moving shots. So it was only there for looks. And, you know, I think they did a pretty good job. You know, they picked a decent engine. A Chuck Taylor Racing Engines Hemi, uh, you know, old school, very cool. And, you know, in the movie, Dominic Toretto claims 900 horses of Detroit muscle, which, you know, could very well be. You know, those old 392 Hemis are not to be messed with, especially if they got a blower on them. And 
I just wanted to clear that up. So all the other chargers in the movie, cool. And, you know, it's kind of funny because in the entire Fast and the Furious franchise, you know, there's a lot of Mopars. So I'm a fan of the movies. Are they super unrealistic? Yes. Do they have a lot of crazy scenes? Yes. Are they entertaining to me? Sure. You know, they're not as entertaining to me as like a two-lane blacktop or something like that, but they're entertaining nonetheless. I'm a car guy. So if there are cool cars in a movie, I'm down to watch it, you know, and being a fan of Mopars, you know, when I see any Mopar in a movie, I'm excited. And if you just look at all the Fast and the Furious films, there's a lot of Mopars in them. So I'm a fan and I'll admit that. You know, is it my favorite movie ever? No. Would I have done different things with some of the cars? Yes. You know, what is my favorite car from all of the Fast and the Furious films? I would say the 69 Daytona clone. I think that is a really cool car, and that may be a future high-performance part. But for now, the 1970 Dodge Charger in the very first reveal scene for the car in the first Fast and the Furious film is the high-performance part for today. That was high-performance parts. Today's listener story is from Stefan, and he's from Iceland. And here is Stefan's story, a young Icelandic man's Mopar story. Living in Iceland means that old cars rot away and most people need reliable cars for the four seasons we get here. When I got my license in 2007, I got a cheap Toyota Beater, but I always loved old cars, especially Mopars. But the few Mopars that were left on the island were either not for sale, expensive, or too far gone. For the next few years, I juggled Mustangs, Mercedes, and some lesser cool cars. Then in 2013, I saw a discussion on Facebook where some locals were talking about darts and one guy posted a picture of a really bad 69 Dart GT, but it was mostly there. I contacted the guy who posted the picture, and turns out that he had the car and had taken it to a friend's junkyard 27 years ago with the intention of using it to clone a 68 Hemi Dart one day. After talking to the guy a few times, I convinced him to sell it. Two days before Christmas 2013, I drove to the junkyard and picked it up. Front frame rails, transmission cross member, and most of the floor was pretty much gone, and with the little money I had, I went to work doing all the work myself and ended up restoring the car in two years. At this point, I had gotten to know some of the older Mopar guys, and that gave me a fighting chance to get other cars. So in 2018, I wanted a B-Body. I found a 67 Coronet in pieces in rough shape that had really cool history in Iceland as a street racer, and even found pictures of it at the very first drag racing event held at the local track in 1978. The Coronet had taken part in sand drag racing and was well known back in the day as the White Coronet. As of today, the Coronet is on a rotisserie and rust repair is almost over. I can't wait to drive it. I have a 383 and 727 for it, but I really want to either go with a Gen 3 Hemi or stroke the 383, but first I just want the car on its wheels and painted. I really want to add a 68 to 69 Charger to my collection one day and a cool 4x4 tin grill, but I can't fit more Mopars in my shop currently, so I just have to look forward to those others. Anyway, that is just a little story from Iceland. Hope you enjoy it. Regards, Stefan. Hey, Stefan, thanks for sending in your story. Sorry it took me so long to get to it. I know a lot of you out there are going, hey, when are you going to get to my story? I sent it in months ago. And here's the thing, I'm an idiot. I accidentally mixed together my shared and unshared stories, and now I'm going through the pile trying to figure out which ones I've shared and which ones I haven't. So I may accidentally slip in one that I've already shared, just because I don't remember. You know, there's been so many Mopar stories that have been shared on the show that it's hard for me to keep track, but I'm trying to go through the stories, and a lot of them I remember sharing, so I'm putting those in their own pile. And it's just, it's a nightmare right now, folks. So if you haven't heard your story yet, don't worry. I'm getting to it. I promise. 
And if for some reason after this week you still haven't heard your story and you sent it in months ago, email me, chris at talkingmopars.com, and let me know. And maybe you'll have to resend it, or maybe you want to put it on a voicemail this time. Who knows? But whatever the case, I have every intention of sharing every story sent to me. So if I've missed it for whatever reason, please get a hold of me and let me know. Okay? Now, Stefan, first of all, it's crazy to me that you're listening to the show from Iceland. I still have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that this show is worldwide and that there are people all over the world, all over this earth that listen to this show. That really humbles me. And, you know, it's crazy to hear about this Mopar hobby and how far it reaches beyond the United States and Canada. And, you know, it's crazy. And I think it's absolutely awesome. And Stefan, I think it's really cool that you got a dart that has been stored in a junkyard for 27 years and you restored it. That is awesome. Uh, I see some of the pictures that you sent me and the car looks amazing. You do great work from what I can see in the pictures. It looks like you did a phenomenal job and the Coronet sounds like a cool car too. So it sounds like you've got a nice little collection of Mopars and I hope that someday you get your 68 or 69 Charger and your 4x4 tin grill. Keep me posted on your projects and thank you once again for sending in your story. That was Stefan's story. If you want to hear your story on this show, email me chris at talkingmopars.com or if you really want to hear your story on the show, you can leave me a voice message with your story if you call 209-28-MOPAR. Remember, if your message goes over three minutes, then you have to call back and finish your story as many times as you need to. I find it a lot funner to hear your stories rather than to read them myself. So if you can, call me up, leave me a voice message, and I will share that on the show. So you'll be able to hear yourself on Talking Mopars. That's fun, and it's way cooler for me to hear someone else's voice other than my own. So keep that in mind and keep sending in your stories. That was Listener Stories. Next stop, Scat City. In late 1969, Dodge introduced a brochure that you could find in magazines that was announcing their 1970 Scat Pack vehicles. And frankly, it's one of the coolest brochures ever to be found in a magazine. Okay? It was basically a giant advertisement for these cars. And I don't think any other automotive manufacturer came up with something quite as cool. So what I want to do for the next five days is give you a taste of each of the cars featured in this brochure. So I'm going to actually read directly from the brochure. Basically, each segment is one of the cars featured from the Scat Pack, and it's going to give you some specs and even a review from a professional driver. Because back in the day, Dodge had a relationship with all these professional race car drivers, and each one of them tested these cars and gave their thoughts. So I thought it would be really fun to go over these. And the first one for today's show is a 1970 Dodge Dart Swinger 340 that was tested by Charlie Allen. Now, who is Charlie Allen? He's a legendary funny car drag racer, okay? If you don't know who Charlie Allen is, go look him up. He's a legend. So let's kick off Listener Appreciation Week with Charlie Allen's test of the Swinger 340. Before we get into Charlie's test of the Swinger 340, let's go ahead and start 
with the cover page of the brochure and go ahead and read that because I think it's a fun read. And then we'll get right into Charlie and his test of the Swinger 340. Dodge announces Scat City. The 1970 Dodge Scat Pack is road ready. Scat City is anywhere competition is hot, keen, and sanctioned. It's the day after race day, USA. In a small brick building in Highland Park, Michigan, a group of white-coated engineers roll a long-snooted automobile into a closed van. In the Daytona Beach Airport, NASCAR winner Bobby Isaacs catches a plane for Chelsea, Michigan, proving ground for the Scat Pack Chargers. Monday morning at 5 a.m., the wing thing, the new Charger Daytona, goes for a shakedown run, flat out. Big Daddy Don Garlitz, king of the dragsters, hot from shutting down two dozen fuelies at a Long Island rail meet, catches a cab for Kennedy Airport. His destination? Michigan International Speedway, and a date with the hot new Dodge Challenger RT. Daddy digs it. See report inside. From the USAC Wars, former national champion Don White wings in to blast the 1970 Charger RT around the high bank Michigan circuit. His opinion, a great muscle car for all-purpose driving, and it's even got a functional backseat. Up the river, the guys in the parts department are stuffing boxes with speed goodies. Selected intakes, jugs, cams, cranks, mags, headers. The works for the guys who won't take stock for an answer. Special show kits for those who want special styling. California Charlie Allen, the all-American boy, world's greatest Dodge Dart drag race artist, shows up to smoke the new version of the Swinger 340. At Detroit Dragway, the budget bomb lives up to its name. Dandy Dick Landy, who races for loot, puts his boot in the new Super B six-pack, finds out it sizzles and gets off the line like lightning. Scat City is where it's taking place, where the Dodge Scat Pack cars are proving to be the toughest performance cars going, from Riverside to Raceway Park, from Dallas Drags to Super Speedways. And back at the shop, a group is putting the finishing touches on a thing called the Scat Pack Club. Yes, gang, you do have a friend at the factory. He's waiting to talk to you. Welcome to Scat City, where the competition is hot, hairy, and sanctioned. Be a swinger and join the Scat Pack Club. Details on the following pages. And don't forget, keep the tack in the black. Charlie Allen tests Swinger 340. Rings it out good. Young Californian Charlie Allen has been drag racing funny cars for five years and is already shutting down many of the big names in the game. In his Dodge Dart last year, he took 10 major championship wins. Save your cash, fellas, the giant killer is here. Dart Swinger 340 doesn't have crazy foreign names or cartoon animals plastered all over the side, but that doesn't seem to slow it down much. What it has got is a high-revving 340 cubic inch V8 that nears the 6,000 RPM mark, and that's in stock form. The standard job comes with the new Mopar full synchro 3-speed floor-mounted gearbox. What you get for your dough is a sleek, stiff-suspended mini-bomb that can show a lot of the high rollers the short way home, provided you do it at a sanctioned meet. The one I tested was equipped with an optional Hurst 4-speed shifter, same kind I used in national championship drag racing. This transmission is almost crash-proof. I clocked some mighty fine ETs with the stock Swinger 340. In the show department, you can order buckets, hood pins, and lots of show goodies. My opinion of the Swinger 340, if you want to put your dough in a go instead of moldings, you'll like it. I do. That was Charlie Allen's test of the Swinger 340 and what he thought of it. The Swinger 340 was equipped with a 340 cubic inch V8 that produced 275 horsepower at 5,000 RPM and 340 pound-feet of torque at 3,200 RPM. You know, if I want to hear about how amazing a car performs, I want to hear it from somebody who knows how to put the car through the paces. You know what I mean? So back in 1969, who are you going to get to do that? You're going to get professional race car drivers to come test these vehicles and give us 
their real-world opinions. So that's really cool. I think Charlie did a great job in describing the Swinger 340. Tune in tomorrow when we get behind the seat of the 1970 Super B six-pack with Dandy Dick Landy. That was our first day exploring Scat City. Tune in again tomorrow. That does it, my friends. The first episode of Listener Appreciation Week is in the books. Thanks for joining me on this first of five episodes for the week, and thank you all for listening to the show. Without you guys, I'd merely just be talking to myself. Which is okay, but my wife already thinks I'm weird, so in order to hold her off from having me committed, I need you guys to keep listening and keep helping me spread the word about this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show today, and for more information about this podcast, or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else that's on your mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com. Or leave me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. Also, don't forget that on Friday, we are launching the Talking Mopar store, where you can purchase cool things like shirts, stickers, and more. We'll have stuff for guys, gals, and even the little ones too. So if you want to help support the show and get some cool stuff at the same time, be on the lookout for the launch of the store on Friday, including a little discount code. That's it, folks. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.